0: Welcome back to Troubleshooting Agile. Hi there, Jeffrey.
1: Hi, Squirrel. And hello to our guests today, who are Ken and Russell from the I Need to Effing Talk to You podcast. Ken, Russell, if you can, just uh, tell us a little bit about yourself and your podcast and uh, so our audience knows who you are.
2: Uh, Yeah, uh, my name is Russell Stratton. Um, I've been a... Um, leadership coach and facilitator for many years. I was an operational manager for a while. I was an HR manager and then moved into corporate facilitation. Um, and I with with leaders in various types of organizations to help them improve individual and team performance.
3: And I'm Ken Cameron, and I started my career as a playwright and theatre director. I spent about 25 years in that end of the profession. And then about a decade ago, I transitioned over into leadership training. And I should put a caveat on there that, you know, there's a rumor that you don't make a whole lot of money in the arts. So during that entire (laughs) 25 years, as I was a playwright and theatre director, I was also an arts administrator and kind of rose to the heights of my profession running the Canadian National Theatre Festival, which... uh, gave me a lot of administrative and leadership background that I was able to use as I moved into uh, leadership coaching.
1: Uh, Fantastic. And really, it's timely to have you here, uh, especially given the episode we put out last week, which was on the value of making things up, about bringing more of an improvisational approach into your uh, project plans and being able to respond, it comes up. Uh, Because one of the things we learned when we uh, were on your podcast is that you use a improvisational approach for learning which i think is fascinating and uh, i understand you described it in your book i need definitely talk to you 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 use this uh, approach which i think is called forum theater for business is that right
3: Yeah, that's correct. It's really rooted in a form of theater that is called Forum Theater. It's also known as Theater of the Oppressed in the social justice circles. It goes by both names. And it was created back in the early 1970s, 1960s. It was actually started in Brazil by a gentleman named Augusto Boal, and he used it for social change. And he would create a a play, but they would interrupt the play and call time out, so to speak. And they would invite members from the audience to come up and replace actors in a scene. And then they would continue the action in an improv manner to try to change the outcome of the play. So you could imagine that you know Augusto Boal would go into some of the poorest areas of Brazil. They would do a play about um, oppressive landlords. And the goal was to try to get the audience to form a tenants union to fight back against their own oppressive landlords. And the play would get to a certain crisis point. They would call time out. They would bring people in from the audience. Somebody would replace the mother. They would kick the landlord out. They would say to the <laughs> husband, you get a job. And they would say to the son, you go to school. And, you know, and then they would gather other members of the audience who would take on roles as other members of the community. And they would um, kind of emulate what it might be like to uh, create a, this this new uh, new tenants union, and what Augusto Boal discovered was he had much more success with this methodology than he did with just uh, talking to people and doing a play that was just a one-way flow of information. He found that by getting the audience up and acting or participating, that it would it would actually make an impact on society. And so the, as this work grew and spread around the world in social social justice circles, it also started to be applied in other forms. And you know you've probably heard about doctors who go through standardized patient programs where they have an actor who comes in and plays the patient. Or you can, you've probably heard about people in the military or in police forces doing live action role play uh, in which they hire live actors to come in and play the criminals. All of that has its roots in the work from the 1970s with the Cousteau Boal. And we take all of that work and we apply it to a business context.
1: That, that's fascinating. My, my daughter was in the police cadets in London uh, as part of the Met uh, Police Force. And um, she would go to camps where they would have to do scenarios where people would be uh they put them in a, in a scenario and then they have to act out uh and that's experiential learning is something that you experience but i i, I didn't connect that to this uh, theater of the oppressed very interesting
2: and then that's very much where we are sort of my interest came in it so i'd you know ken had come at it perhaps originally from the from the sort of art side i'd come at it from the business side i'd work with a lot of people who, um police forces emergency services um a lot of ex-military personnel and as you've alluded to a lot of their training is simulation-based. So it's not, you know, how do we deal with, um, you know, interviewing a suspect, uh, suspected of robbery. Let's look at a PowerPoint of how we would do that and then say what we (laughs) think we would do. They would actually do it. And and various other, obviously, more complex stuff as well. So what I was interested in is how could we help um, managers in organisations Um, have those difficult workplace conversations that a lot of people avoid so that they can help improve individual and team performance and do it in a way so it's simulating real life. So the idea of being able to have um, an improv artist who can become that you know, difficult or unruly member of staff, and people can practice having the conversation using that stop-start theatre that Ken's just described and be able to do it in a supportive environment with other participants who can offer their suggestions, swap out, and you can watch somebody else do it, um, take it, and, you know, two people could deal with it, both effectively, but both dealing with it completely differently. And it gives people a chance to learn from doing, but also from watching others doing it in a simulated environment. Well, this is
0: pretty amazing because our, uh, Jeffrey, we've been doing stuff like this for about 10 years. It never occurred to us to use actual actors. So Jeffrey and I, for, for many, many years, uh, Jeffrey runs a dojo in which people practice. Um, I've been going to these sorts of things. Uh, we wrote an entire book about how to practice and rehearse your difficult conversations, but we talked about doing it in a mirror, going to a dojo, getting a friend, getting, a. a person in your family. I like eight-year-olds. They're really good at pretending to be difficult people. Um, But we never thought of actual actors. Jeffrey, why didn't we think of that?
1: (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) Kenny, I'm sure you've got some ideas about what we're missing out by not bringing a trained actor into into the mix.
3: Well, it is something that we often talk about. Is that it's it, it when when two people from the same workplace who are not experienced in in this kind of improv are doing role play. What invariably happens is one of two things: either either participant A is the is the employer and participant B is supposed to be the employee, and participant B either goes really easy on participant A because I don't want to make it too hard on you because I know that uh, you know I'm going to be next. Or um, you know, or it feels awkward and it feels false, and so I just I just kind of laugh my way through it. Or the opposite happens, in which I turn into a complete jerk and I just make it really hard on you, and I just become obstructionist all the time, and I never make it easy for you to actually get through the conversation. And then as a result, you get frustrated, and neither one of us actually ever learn anything, but I get a good laugh. <laughs>
1: i can just see the 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 pitfalls of that i have done group sessions where we have people take turn uh, role playing and uh, i would say i've seen those kind of dynamics you're describing and it takes i think then what makes it successful is having someone who can facilitate and point out and overcome the power dynamics i had an example of a um, the vp was was role playing and kind of steamrolled the conversation and the initial response from the person was like well yep they got what they were after but then i was able to say well but how did it work versus the outcomes you were supposed to get? Like, what, what did they learn, which was the point of the dialogue? Did they learn anything different than from the default? And everyone like, no, they didn't. You know, So actually, while it, on the one hand, it was a commanding performance in terms of power, it didn't hit the educational objectives of the role play that everyone was aiming for. And, uh, but it would have been easy to lose that. In the, in, the, in the positional power of the workplace. So I can definitely see that having someone coming from the outside who's not gonna be cowed by the fact they're talking to the vice president is gonna be a tremendous asset in, in having that happen. The, the thing that occurs to me is is also, is if I go back to the origin here, of you had this director who found this important shift from telling the audience what to do from in these plays, to, you know, laying out here's the scenario and trying to educate them sort of Passively by recipients to so then this shift to active, and I think that's for myself. I've become less interested in getting up on stage and talking about the theory of communication. Instead, how can we get the audience involved and
2: uh,
1: in acting things out? Uh, you know, in, in acting, going to their real world, having an experience. I'm reminded of the uh, action learning uh, uh, approaches and, and the, the the quote that there's. There's no learning without action. There's no action without learning. Giving people that that potential uh, uh, to have an experience and learn from it.
2: Absolutely, and I, and I think you know back to the point you were making making earlier. You know it becomes less of a performance and more of something that you you're literally working. Working with somebody through a particular scenario, so it's a couple of things that come in Ken kept that of, of interest here. You know, one is you know Ken does an excellent job in terms of facilitating that part of the workshop with people that um, allows them to try different approaches. You know, to stop, to go back. To get feedback from the actor in character, so it's a bit like to your, you know, example that you gave there. That you, you know, you have somebody say, well, yeah, he achieved the outcome, but you know, had it leave the person feeling. Well, the actor can give you feedback in character, as that character. That's how I, how I felt. You know, for example, yes, you got the what you wanted, but I felt totally demoralised at the end of it, and less, and unlikely to want to engage with you in the future you know, that's useful learning for the person to receive. And also then to see somebody else try it who might get a similar outcome, but in terms of, you know, they got what they wanted, but have left the conversation in a much healthier place in terms of as the two individuals. Um, and then the other thing I think it allows you to, to do um, is for people to explore, you know, different parts of how they uh, tackle these situations. So Ken and I have just finished a a fairly um, lengthy piece of work with an engineering company and one of the things that the engineers and these were sort of project managers senior engineers you know mid-level leaders were good at doing was about building the case dealing with the facts what they were less comfortable dealing with is managing people's emotions so it really brought in that emotional intelligence piece of recognizing the signs in somebody else being able to manage your reaction being able to sort of manage the reaction of somebody else in an ethical way Um, and that was great learning for them and because you're dealing with different people each time you run a scenario you know our actors were saying they may have done the scenario four times in four different workshops it was completely different each time because you had different participants each brought something else to the table and the actor is really just playing the character but they're playing off of what the um, participant is doing good bad or indifferent so you know the, what they enjoy is, it's not like they're playing the part i'm going to come and play the part of you know difficult jim and i'm going to be like that four times the the character becomes different in many ways because you know, what they're seeing and they're able to be more flexible with it so it's uh, it's, it's really sort of interesting experience for everyone
1: I have one final question about how you set this up, which is, because you described having the same scenario in different organizations, to, to what extent, and I think this is maybe get into something general about communication and communication problems, to what extent do you find in, in your model, do you are you uh, uh, creating different scenarios for different organizations you're working with? Do you, you, know, do you go in and do discovery? Uh, uh, learn about the scenarios, you know, do some, some sort of discovery to figure out what scenes to bring in and you have a catalog or you do custom work, or are you much like, nope, everyone's human, everyone has the same problems, we just bring the standard material, but they express them differently and we discover the nuances of the uh, it, that are happening with those people in that situation?
3: Uh, the answer to your question is yes and. We, uh, we do we do all of <laughs> a that. great
1: improv answer right there perfect people who listened to us last week will recognize that one straight off
3: so we will go into the uh, and, and do extensive interviews with the clients so that we're able to get the details and, and get a sense of what's going on in that in that company and in that discovery process we'll uncover what are the communication issues that the leader feels that, that they want to see addressed and what do what kinds of issues might they have we'll also ask like what are some of the kind of typical things that come up and we with whom are you dealing those so that the actor can be cast as the employee but they can also be cast as a difficult boss they can also be a difficult customer they can also be a difficult external partner and we'll write multiple scenarios depending on how long the workshop is if it's half a day we might get in three scenarios if it's a full day workshop we might get in four or five and we'll um we'll write different scenarios and then we'll also look for details that match that particular industry so in the engineering firm. Um, These were issues around air quality management, um, wind tunnel work, um, you know, uh, structural integrity, and a lot of issues around that. There was even a pipeline uh, issue that was also around around engineering. But if we're going into a construction firm, then it might be about safety might be about accidents happening, etc. And then we will marry those details into some ready-made templates that we have. So we have some ready-made templates about how uh, a conversation can be structured and we'll just kind of plug those two things together. And this allows us to structure each scenario so that the actor can easily understand and easily digest it. And um, and that's the piece where, as you described, there are common communication pitfalls that we can, that are in the scenario template. Um, But then we're plugging in details that are very, very, very specific to the so that the participants feel as close to real life as possible without having the real life people in the room and in a situation in which they can call time out and rewind the conversation and yes. take it again and try to see <laughs> what would happen if they reacted differently.
1: I, I love that. And it, you know, the the, the whole scenario, it, it, it's, it's fascinating to hear this, and, and it resonates with a lot of different things, that ability to repeat, retry, and um, the, the, the depth that you can go with having the trained actors in the setting, the, the work that you do to make it feel realistic uh, and and to do them, I can see this is gonna be a very rich learning experience. The, the closest thing actually resonates with me in that people that our listeners are likely to have experienced in, in real world. I'm curious what you think about this squirrel is actually there's an element which sounds a bit like pair programming. Oh, yeah, uh, not, pair, but, not even pairing, but mob programming where uh, and and for Ken and Russell, for, you know, in, in, in uh, uh, programming these days, mob programming is a way where someone, one person's driving, typing the keyboard, but people in the audience can shout out about what to do. And someone can say, oh, let's do this. And they can go far until they get stuck and then call for help. And then you can get other people in the audience who can step in.
0: Get up and bring somebody else to the keyboard, which is just like the forum theater approach that you bring, bring in someone else. So uh, if, if listeners have experienced any of that, um, that may give you some grounding in what a, a workshop with, with Ken and Russell might be like. Jeffrey, we're out of time for today, but I think Ken and Russell should come back if, if they're willing because uh, I think there's a whole lot more about, for example, what hats you wear when you do this work. And that there's a whole uh, theory around uh, how you decide what um, d- different categories people will, will operate in. Uh, would you guys be willing to come back next week and, and talk to us more about that? For sure.
3: Well, that'd be exciting. I'd love to do that.
0: Okay, good. So uh, uh, Ken and Russell will come back. One of you tell us, uh, where could our listeners find out more about you? Where's the the one best place for them to look? It'll all be in the show notes as well
2: yeah probably on the uh, website i need to effing talk to you.com and um yeah check out details of what we're doing
0: Fantastic, and
2: uh, I hope listeners will do that. So, uh,
0: listeners, if you're interested in, in uh, uh, thinking about this uh, pu- puzzle, you want to know more about how to improvise, how to uh, uh, d- deal with uh, uh, difficult conversations in this creative way with actors. You can uh, go to Kenan Russell's website. Uh, if you're interested in finding out more with us and arguing with us about is this actually like pair programming? Is this something that uh, you can use? Why would you want to use this when you're uh, a bunch of engineers? Why do engineers need to talk to each other? Um, Uh, All of that is stuff you can find at agileconversations.com. So uh, have a look there. You can argue with us on Twitter uh, or over email. You can watch videos. There's lots of material from us, uh, all free. And uh, we're very interested in hearing from listeners. And of course, you can also come back next week uh, when all four of us will be back together uh, talking more about uh, this very interesting topic on another edition of Troubleshooting Agile. Thanks, Jeffrey, Ken, and Russell. Thanks, Carl. It's a pleasure to be here.